Good afternoon, and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Good afternoon, and welcome to the Authentic Living Show. The question of today is, can we be authentic and still have an ego? Well, we've talked about that ego before. As a matter of fact, it's been compared to our old ideas about uh, Satan. Um, we have now become fully aware that there's an ego inside of us, and we have given it all kinds of of nasty uh, <laughs> problems. And so we, we tend to be able to imagine that the ego contains all that is bad and negative about us and that maybe our shadow contains some unconscious negative and bad about us. But there's a higher self that contains only good. Well, that paradigm is one that is totally questioned by the authentic self. The authentic self sort of um, takes the wind out of the sails of both of those two paradigms. And we're going to be talking about that today as we process through what it means to be authentic and still have an ego. So... Ego. What is ego? Lots of people will tell you that ego is the lower self. It is the part of you that does not recognize um, that we are connected to the divine. And while I do agree that there is a part of us that, or actually there is an an, an us that is not connect, uh, does not believe itself connected to the divine, I would not call that the ego. Um, and I think calling it the ego is problematic. And it is problematic because... When people think of, of that, of their, that there's a part of themselves over which they have little control that is so um, powerful that it can keep us from seeing who we are, then we tend to project onto it all kinds of negativity. And in the process, what we're doing is we are holding negativity inside of us and, and with a whole notion for what negativity actually is, actually. And we will talk some more about those definitions, negative and positive as well. But I guess what I want to say today is that the ego is considered to be a problem in our lives. It's something we have to overcome by many people. And that started with a language, I think, that was used by the Course in Miracles, um, and that language said that uh, ego was the problem and the ego thought of itself as separate from the divine. Well, I, I mean, it's a language, okay? But giving it that name is problematic because the ego is something with which we identify. All right, so let me, let me explain what I mean here. So many of the people that I see in therapy and in, as listeners and readers Tell me about having struggled with that battle ego and how tr- they've tried and tried and tried to overcome the ego and to, to, um, surrender to a higher self and to be something else than the ego wants them to be. And what that means is that they end up having to try really hard to think positive and feel positive and be good and do the right thing. And that ends up with the same old paradigm that we found when we were living in the old traditional mode uh, that said we had to be good people in order to get to heaven. We had to be good people in order to to finally arrive at a destination in which we were uh, like nirvana, uh, in which we were able to be free of all pain and suffering. And 
and uh, the like. So that that struggle to overcome ego and become a higher self is problematic. Why? Because it keeps us in a dualistic mindset. It keeps us in a mindset that says, I'm not one person, I'm two people. One of them is my ego and the other is my higher self and I have to step over the ego in order to get to my higher self. But I don't really know how to do that so I'm in this perpetual struggle trying to be something other than what I experience myself to be. That is, that totally supports duality, right? And that's why it's problematic because it has a person struggling against themselves to become something they cannot even imagine being, right? So it's, it's really important that we dismiss the term ego. And I know that you're going to hear lots of other people with much bigger names than mine telling you don't do that. Don't dismiss the word ego. But I'm going to dismiss the word ego today because it, it, it does create a dualistic mindset. The truth is that the reason we hear so much about stillness and silence is because when we surrender to the silence and the stillness, we recognize who we actually are. It isn't that there is a separate and distinct ego that we must overcome in order to become a higher self. It is that we need to just surrender to the stillness and then we realize that we already are a divine being. And I won't call it a higher self because that implicates the idea that there's a lower self and I'm not going to support that idea. There is no lower self. There is no higher self. There is only self. And self is only divine self. There is only that. Everything that, that belies that is the blindness that we have as a part of the dualistic trance state we all live in. But it is a blindness, not an entity. And that is what I want to declare and resound from the highest hilltops. There is not an entity inside of me called ego and another entity inside of me called higher self that are duking it out in much the same way that God and Satan were said to duke it out in the heavens. That doesn't exist. All right. What does exist is divine self. And then we also are blind to divine self, and therefore we act as if divine self isn't true. But there's only one of me. There's only one of me. <laughs> and, it, and it is divine self. And I either see that or I don't. That is the issue. Okay? So when we divide ourselves up into ego and higher self, what we're doing is declaring war between the two dualities in exactly the same way that the old traditional mindset declared war between two dualities. Uh, then it was God and Satan. Now it's higher self and, and uh, lower self or higher self and ego. Um, and that perpetuation is not even conscious to us. It's amazing to me how many times I hear New Thought people talk about the higher self and the lower self without even realizing that they're perpetuating duality. Um, and that, you know... Do I, am I, can I be blind to who I am? Can I live as if I'm not a divine self? Absolutely. But that is still me. I'm still in there. And the divine self is still very active in that process as a kind of undercurrent to what I'm doing that sort of is a foundational premise. So, okay, so here's how that works. Um, in the sense that 
uh, my divine self is always working. It works with the law of attraction and with all the other universal laws, such as the law of love and the law of, of projection and the law of duality and the law of oneness and all the other laws that I speak about in the book, the law, uh, the law of attraction, the soul's answer to why it isn't working and how it can. All of those laws are working together to accomplish what, uh, what the soul, which is the divine self, wants to accomplish. And it uses our blindness and all of our stumbling around in the darkness of that blindness to bring that, bring us to closer and closer to awareness of who we are as divine self. So there's not a struggle between, uh, divine self and ego, uh, not a struggle between ego and higher self. It is, it is all working together simultaneously to create an opening for us to begin to see slowly over time and over lifetime after lifetime after lifetime, incarnation after incarnation, who we actually are as divine beings. So in one life, I may come to understand that, uh, I may come, come to understand the concept of unconditional love. In another life, I may begin to really receive that unconditional love. In another life, I may be able to learn to surrender to that unconditional love. And another life, I might be able to learn to give, because I'm surrendered, give from that unconditional love. So now, that is just a made-up example. It doesn't have to work like that at all. But what's happening there is a process of unfoldment that happens over lifetimes that in which the soul is completely participant, in which the divine self completely uh, uh is empowered to accomplish what it's set about to accomplish in that lifetime, even through all the mistakes, all the quote-unquote sins, all the ways in which we don't see ourselves as divine beings. And it is, it is uh, that blindness is useful. So the soul knows how to use everything in our lives, everything, every relationship, every mistake, every subtle nuance of meaning, everything in our lives to help us to wake up to who we actually are. And that what's going on. It's there's not a battle that we have to duke out. There's not there is there's actually one thing and one thing only and that is surrendering to who we actually are. So that's when we wake up and we go, "Oh, that's who I am." So when when I meditate in the mornings, I'm not saying, "Let me see if I can find my higher self. Let me see if I can put away my ego." I'm simply stepping into the stillness, and the stillness informs me of who I am. That's why we read the text, Be still and know that I am God, because it says, Be still in order to know who you are. But the stillness only allows us to see. It doesn't change who we are. So in that sense, what what's happening is we are in that moment, in that moment of, of uh, meditation, where we step into the stillness, we're waking up. If, you know, if only temporarily, we're waking up to, to see who we actually are. And in that process, we are being able to step into it a little bit more and a little bit more and become more and more conscious, more and more aware of who we are and how that lives. So we're going to talk about that, how that lives part right after the break. Stay tuned for more.
The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Are you tired of the government squandering your tax dollars on bailouts and overpaid bureaucrats? On Free Markets with Dr. Mike Beitler, Mike Beitler and his guests explain why big government regulations are the problem and innovative businesses and free markets are the solution. Listen to Free Markets with Dr. Mike Beitler, Thursday mornings at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Network. Every moment that we live provides us with numerous opportunities to grow more deeply spiritually through our active engagement in positive, concrete ways that can uplift, encourage, and help ourselves and each other. Become a part of Our Sacred Journey with your host, Audrey Katagawa. Our program will include guests who will share their experiences with you to inspire you to help create a peaceful, cooperative present and future and to explore your creativity and the valuable contributions which you can make. Our Sacred Journey airs live Mondays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on 7th Wave. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be extraordinary. Be the change. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back. And I'll tell you that the Authentic Living Show is sponsored by the Institute of Noetic Sciences, dedicated to expanding science beyond conventional paradigms. Founded by Apollo 14 astronaut Edgar Mitchell, IONS is a nonprofit research, education, and membership organization whose mission is supporting individual and collective transformation through consciousness research, educational outreach, and engaging in a global learning community in the realization of human potential. You can join that learning community at www. Noetic.org. So we're talking today about the possibility that it may be um, that we can out have an ego while simultaneously being authentic. What we said just before the break is that there is no entity within us called ego and another entity within us called higher self. Those two uh personalities as you if you will and that's how it is thought of whether we use those words for it or not those per- two personalities don't exist what is true is there's only one of me and that that me is my authentic self or my higher self or, or my excuse me I'm not going to use that language or my soul or my divine self and that that divine self is in charge so that there is no such thing as a failed life I'm going to say that again. There is no such thing as a failed life. Now, I know that right now you're looking around the world and you're going, wait a minute, what about Hitler? And what about that serial killer I read, I saw on TV last night? And what about, the, you know, uh, my cousin who's just a complete jerk? <laughs> you know, what about those, those people? 
don't they have a failed life? I mean, who could say that Hitler was a success? Well, we have a term for success that's not at all what the soul's term for success is. That's A. And certainly I don't support anything that Hitler did in terms of the Holocaust. But I am saying that that um, his soul came here to accomplish something. And maybe, maybe, just maybe, he had to go all the way to the outer reaches of what we think of as evil and live that out for us all and have many of us experience the horrors of that with him in order for us to 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 really begin to say okay that person took all of that projection for us and and now we can sort of let go a little bit more of that of course in in some senses we don't really let go of it because we still much many of us still talk a lot about evil and the nature of evil and what evil is and of course we're trying to find the nature of good in that process and what goodness actually is but the truth is that if there is only divine self there's really no such thing as good or evil either and that's hard for us to swallow it's hard for us to imagine that there's not really a good and evil because we can look around and prove to ourselves that yes indeed there is good or evil but actually those are just words we've used to interpret the realities we see in our, in our lives. So in another uh, uh, show, I talked about Hitler, and so I'm not going to go into detail about that right now because that's a historical lesson. But uh, I do want to say that, for example, um, we have the power to project onto other people, places, things, and events the things about ourselves that we don't want to know. So if Hitler was able to carry shame and and darkness for the German people and they projected all that power onto him and then he had to project all of that onto another race of people in order to counterbalance it, then that says nothing about good or evil. It says everything about our power to project onto other people and have them accept and receive that projection as if it's true. I see this all the time in therapy with, with clients who have... Uh, what we call internalized uh, somebody else's badness as if it were their own. So this is a survivor of sexual trauma. They've they've internalized the the badness, so to speak, of the person who was their perpetrator, and say to themselves that they're somehow guilty for what happened to them. And we have to work through that and get to the other side. So they begin to go, wait a minute, I didn't create this. I didn't earn this. I didn't ask for this. Somebody else tricked me. Somebody else tried to manipulate me. Somebody else did these things, and that was their doing. It wasn't mine. And they set themselves free from somebody else's stuff. I also see it all the time in in, in a much more subtle way, where children are raised in families where, say, for example, the parents cannot be right, wrong. I'm just not ever wrong. So somebody in the family's got to be wrong for them because somebody's got to ha- handle that other polarity. So what happens is one of the kids usually picks up, oh, I'm wrong, I'm the bad one. Now that kid may live out the black sheep identity by being badder and badder to prove that he actually exists, or they can feel very guilty and responsible for other people uh, and put themselves in that position of being the scapegoat for everyone else's stuff and that is very hard for them to work through because they believe it. They believe that they are actually bad people. And if they don't, aren't doing everything perfectly, that they're bad. And why are, why are they doing that? Because mom and dad couldn't be bad. 
So they're being bad for them. Um, that's a way we can project onto other people and other people can receive it. We're all vulnerable to that kind of reception because we are looking for mirrors in other people's faces, in other people's ideas of who we are. I work with people all the time who say to me that, you know, that, that um, you know, well, those people will think that I'm so and so and so and so. And I go, okay, well, that, does that make you so and so? Well, sort of, yeah. No, it doesn't. It doesn't make us anything just because somebody else thinks that we're something. So that power to project onto other people our, our, um, our own abilities to, um, have, feel something, have something, do something is very potent indeed. And, uh, so that is what is spoken of in the history lesson of Hitler. Uh, we are, we are being taught that we have the power to project onto other people massive amounts of, of shame and blame. And because we have that power, we can allow them to carry out for us all the things that we would never deem that we would ever do. And they do it for us. And then, because they've done it for us, we can say, well, see, they're evil and I'm not. Um, we saw this with uh, the, uh, the African-American races. We brought them to America to be our slaves and they were considered to be less than other people. They were our slaves, and therefore we, we sort of discounted them to be anything else. They couldn't be real people. They couldn't have emotions like we have. They couldn't have intelligence like we had. They were, they were our slaves, and that's what we needed them to be, so that's what they were. That's total projection. And now we know it's total bunk. So, uh, so that's the power we have to project onto other people, places, and things, things about ourselves we don't want to know. And because we have that power, we, we utilize it, and because we utilize it, we have what's called evil in the world. But the truth is that if we never thought in terms of good or evil, then we wouldn't need to project in the first place. And the reason we thought think in terms of good and evil is because we ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil in a metaphorical sense, not in any real eating of the apple thing, but in a metaphorical way, we as a collective human race... Uh, decided that if we lived in form, we must somehow be separated from the divine, which was formless. And why were we separated? Well, that must be because we're bad people. Well, maybe we're bad because we, because, you know, the divine is not here with us. Maybe that's what's going on. And that's the kind of magical thinking that children have about their parents. Dad left, abandoned the family, well, maybe that means something about me. Maybe that means that I'm a bad person. Maybe that's why Dad left. If I'd been a better person, he might have stayed. That's the kind of magical thinking we do as children. So that's the kind of magical thinking we did in the earliest regions, uh, earliest history of our collective creation. And uh, in the process, then what happened is we began to see, we began to believe that myth. We began to believe that yes. That's, that's the truth. We must be evil. And so we started creating all kinds of rituals so that we could bridge that gap. I need to get back in touch with God, so I need to create these rituals. And so we sacrificed animals and grains and uh, produce and all kinds of things to try to get the gods to see that we were really okay people after all. And we needed them. And um, in that process, what happened is we began to believe more in the ritual and more and more in the ritual, and more and more in the ritual, until finally the ritual was all there was. And now 
we live in a society where there's very little ritual. And so it's interesting to me that out of that process has come this whole new belief that here, oh, wait, 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 it's not God and the devil. It's my ego and my higher self. And my higher self is connected to the divine, but my ego is not. And so those two need to duke it out until the higher self wins. Now, if you ask any of the great master, very popular teachers out there, they will tell you that we're not really supposed to be duking it out. But if you ask a person who's learning from those people, they will tell you absolutely that they are duking it out. And that's why that message is so problematic. We do not need to be saying to people that there's an ego and a higher self. That language produces in its listeners a, a an image of a battle between one part of me and another part of me. And that furthers the dual, dualistic trance state. It does not uh, eliminate it. It furthers it. So that's why I refuse to use that language. And uh, there may be greater names out there than me who will tell me that I'm all wrong and that the Course of Miracles said the word ego, so therefore it's true. But just like I don't believe that the Bible is an er inerrant word of God, I do not believe that the Course of Miracles is the inerrant word of God. And in my opinion, the the word ego, as it's used in that book, is errant. So... I guess what I I would say about this is how then do we begin, as we said in the last break, how then do we begin the process of living fully aware of who we are as divine beings? Well, first, we don't do it. We can't do it. Jesus said, I can do nothing of my own initiative. Um, and what is meant by that? And, and, and Buddha talked about a self and no self. And the Bhagavad Gita talks about the divine self that isn't blind and the, and then, and, uh, and, uh, how our blindness keeps us from seeing. Um, these things are, are giving us the information that there is some kind of surrender to seeing that has to happen. Um, when Jesus said, I can do nothing of my own initiative, he was not saying he can't do anything. He was saying there is another initiator inside of me. And that is what we need to really come to understand. What we really need to believe uh, uh, to be true is that that initiator inside of me is creating the unfailed life. My blindness can't create that. But that initiator, that divine self that is actually the only real initiator, absolutely can. And we're going to talk about that initiator right after the break. So stay tuned for more. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Do you ever ask yourself, Why am I here? What is my purpose in life? What do I do next? Life energies are based on the chakras, and this is the foundation of holistic healing. Find the balance in your life by tuning in to Healing Possibilities with your host, Tracy Makarenko. Through engaging guests and Tracy's spiritual guidance, each week we'll explore a different modality of healing designed to help you find peace and wholeness. Listen every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. 
Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio, because shift happens. Be visionary. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We're back today about whether or not it's possible to, ha- to, to live in the authentic while simultaneously having an ego. And the answer to that question is, yes, absolutely we can. The reason we can do that is because the ego is not an entity that is in us that is trying to sabotage us or, tr- uh, or, or uh, carries all of our, our badness or our negativity or is, is against the higher The ego is not uh, the enemy. And that's what we've made the ego into, unfortunately. Actually, the ego is simply a liaison between the inner world and the outer world, without which we would either be absorbing too much outer world or projecting too much inner world. So the ego is um, a balancer, a fulcrum, if you will, for the seesaw that is the inner world and the outer world. And a healthy ego can keep other people's agendas and and their emotional stuff off of us, um, and uh, while simultaneously helping us from what is within us, the authentic An unhealthy ego identifies with the external world and its desires and its um, needs for us. So when we talked a little while ago about the child who absorbs the parents wrong because the parents, parents can't ever be wrong, that's an unhealthy ego. The child has never been taught how to say that's what they think. But this is what I think. And very children are very vulnerable to that because they are definitely looking for mirrors to look into. And so what they do is they put on whatever it is their parents need to put them on, put on as a mask and costume and they wear it because that's how they think they'll fit into that family. And it's only later that we begin to come to terms with, oh, wait a minute, that might not be who I actually am. That is who I had to be in order to survive my family, but that might not be who I really am. Um, so that process is one in which we begin to discover who we are. But it's a process of discovery, not a process of becoming. And that is the difference because in, in, the, old, in the paradigm that we currently use about the ego and the higher self, what we're saying is I've got to become my higher self. I'm not self now i'm not there yet but one day i will be my higher self when i once and forever overcome this ego and say we have a lot of people living in this state of longing in which they're hoping one day to be something other than who they see themselves being now 
when really all that needs to happen is that they need to see who they actually already are. And so that, that, that is what I see as enlightenment. And certainly I'm not the only one. The Bhagavad Gita says that. The Buddha says that. Christ says that. Um, in, in fact, there's a passage in Isaiah in the Bible, if you want to use the Bible, as just one of the many instruments, sacred tools we can use to get clearer on what the truth is. It says, uh, it's in 5511, it says, So shall my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I have So what that says is, there is no way that the divine self or the can fail. The soul, the divine self, within each, that is, us, is going to accomplish its desire in every lifetime, in every incarnation. It will accomplish what it set out to do. If, if the person goes to the out, absolute outer limits of what we consider to be evil, yet the soul will use that to, to, to bring further awareness to the divine self. It will use that not only in the life of the individual who went to those outer limits, but it will use that in the life, the life of everyone that person touched to help that person become more aware of who he or she is as an authentic being. Now, we might that go, well, yeah, well, I didn't get that when, you know, my mother or my father abused me. I didn't get that I was an authentic. How come that, that didn't work? It did, uh, duh, that must have failed. Soul's not doing its job. No, it's a process. And that is something we absolutely in the West have no tolerance for is processes. We want to know right now exactly what's going on. We want to hear the answer right this minute. In that process, and because we want that, we ignore the processes that are going on as undercurrents. And that's what I was talking about before the break when I talked about the, the initiative inside of us. It, the initiative is always creating something new and beautiful out of everything that happens. Will we experience that creation? Not if we're blind. Not if we're not, we're not living in the state that we believe ourselves to be separate from the divine. No, we will continue to live from that other place. We will continue to experience that other reality in which um, life sucks and then you die, you know. Uh, and and so, uh, but the initiate is initiating and in order for us to come to know that we have to be that's what is meant by be know that i am divine know that i am god it is i i am i can be still to know that i am divine that i am god jesus said don't your scriptures tell you that you are gods but very rarely do we hear that particular statement that he made preached on in church (laughs) um if ever I've never heard it preached on. Of course, I haven't been to every church, but yeah, it does, we don't hear that. Um, what we hear is that uh, that that what when when we hear the statement, we know that I'm God, that we're supposed to shut up and realize that God is bigger than us, and we don't know what the heck we're doing, and and that perpetuates the reality we all lived in, in which we believe completely that we are divine. But that is exactly like ourselves. I'm my fingers, I'm my nose, I'm my body. I'm not separate from my body. And still, there are so many people out there who are, uh, and even math teachers who are saying to us that 
that we are, our body is just, you know, a tool. It's just a vehicle. It's nothing more than that. It really isn't a part of the process of uncovering who we actually are. We are, we are formless. We are actually formless. The body is just form. We don't need that. Well, okay, well then why did we develop form? Why did we, why did form ever get created if it's meaningless? No, we think in terms of death and life because we live in a duality trance state. Okay, so the body is, is, uh, is just, and it's gonna be junk in 80 years and it'll be buried or turned into dust or whatever and that's that. But actually, the body is another part of the awakening process. It is just as incremental to the awakening process as is everything else in our lives. And ultimately, as Eckhart Tolle says, what, what is going to happen is that we, that form is change as a result of our awakening. Form, in my belief, form is going to, um, become divine. It's going to realize its nature. It's going to realize that just because it's form doesn't mean it's separate from formlessness. Form and formlessness will then be united and there will be no more death. There will be no more uh, waking, birthing, and dying. That that, that process will be over, uh, and a new process. And that's Eckhart Tolle calls that the new heaven and the new earth, and actually the Bible calls it that too. And uses very familiar, the very similar to those he uses um, in the in the root language. And so, what's what's really happening is that we are in a process. of Everything is being used toward that awakening process. And so, the word of God, which will not return empty. We are the word of God. We will not return to God empty. And, and so, we are our own divine is that word. We are the created and we are the creator. And, and in that process, what happens is that we become more aware, more fully aware of that, of the process of awakening. Uh, another verse in John says, the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It was in the beginning with God. Uh, he was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, darkness not comprehended. That duality translate completely if if he being the divine self was beginning with the divine as divine, then all all things to being from us we were a part of the creation that we are and we are in that process we're not just co-creators we're creators um uh, when we talk about co-creating we're talking about the duality translate where i'm over here trying to do my little bit to help God out, and God's over there doing his big bit or her big bit or whatever big bit to help my over here. But there's no separation. We're not co-creators. We're creators. We are the divine self. We are as a collective and as individuals. And that's all we are, and that's all we'll ever be. And we the only, the only thing is that we need to wake up to that fact. But that's a hard process. We have been taught 
forever that we are separate from the divine that we're bad people and that only god is good and that we're bad and that if we if we talk about goodness and being good then we're being arrogant and that and um and that evil is the outcropping of that arrogance and so there's really no way to be good and evil is the only other options it's this vicious we always end up being less um and so the process becomes one in which we begin to slowly slowly over over lifetimes that who we are is all there is and who we are is divine self so here's how the Bible in the heart of every creature and the beginning middle and end of their existence there it is I mean there it is uh, that's book Bhagavad Gita another one says under my watchful eye the laws of nature take their course thus Thus, the animate and the inanimate are created. The immature do not look beyond the physical appearances to see my true nature as the Lord of all creation. And if you go back to the other one, the Lord of all creation is the true self of every creature. So that's how the Bhagavad Gita says it. Um, uh, I be found in every creature, Arjuna, for without me nothing can exist, neither animate nor inanimate. There it is. And that's what Jesus was saying just before the break that um, we're going to uh, that the he, that the initiate in every one of us is the divine self. divine self is the initiator of everything and the only thing that really ever happens is the divine self so we're going to talk about what really happens right after the break stay tuned for more The 7th Wave Channel on The Voice America Network. Are you looking for alternative sources of spiritual development? Listen every week for Exploring the Divine Within with host Patty Scrivens and her guest co-hosts. You'll be inspired to connect with the divine within yourself. We are all love. And while we seek for it in different ways, the truth is that we are all looking for the same thing and doing the best that we can. When you understand that, you can embrace it. Feel a sense of calm and true joy. Tune into Exploring the Divine Within, Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time, on 7th Wave. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? Peter Tung has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. Invite meaning and inspiration to your life. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5792. 
1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Okay, we're back. I, I think that I'm just going to go ahead and say that we had some technical issues over the last uh, segment of the show, and I want to uh, just sort of go back over just a little bit of what I said in the last uh, segment. What I was talking about there was the uh, one of the statements in uh, the Bible that says that the Word of God, the Word of the Divine Self, will not return empty. In other words, we are that word, we are that creation, and we are the creator, and we will not return from any lifetime empty. There is no way to have a failed life, because the soul is the initiator. The soul is the accomplisher in a lifetime. So when Jesus said, I can do nothing of my own initiative, what he was actually saying is nothing really happens unless the divine does it. I want to say that again. Nothing really happens unless the divine does it. So when people talk today about um, illusion, it, there's a lot of talk based on the material found in The Course in Miracle about uh, illusion, that the world as we see it in matter is an illusion. We are just furthering the duality trance state. The world as we see it is not an illusion. Form is not an illusion. It was created as form to be form. And form is real. It also is... Um, it also is uh, part of formlessness, as we see from quantum physics, that the a table or a chair is not just the table and the chair. It's a lot of molecules and empty space and quarks and whatever comes below quarks and whatever comes below that. So there's a lot of space inside every piece of matter. And that, uh, that alludes metaphorically to the fact that, that there is divine essence in all of matter. Every animate and inanimate object. That's what the Bhagavad Gita says. It says, um, under my watchful eye, the laws of nature take their course. Thus is the world set in motion. Thus the animate and the inanimate are created. And it also says, and I read this in the last segment, but I'm reading it again in case you didn't get it because we broke up. I am the true self in the heart of every creature and the beginning, middle, and end of their existence. That is from Iswaran's, um, Bhagavad Gita, and what it's saying essentially is that the I am, that I am, is the divine self. The I am, that I am, is the divine self, and only that actually accomplishes anything on this planet. There's nothing else accomplished. All of my efforts, all of my work, all of my striving, all of my trying to be a good person, all of my trying to be that, overcome that ego and become my higher self is for naught. Unless the divine self does it. There's only one activity that's happening, and it's divine self-activity. Everything else is just more of the belief in duality, more blindness. So actions that are created from blindness are really dissipated. They're just energy that just sort of goes out and is dissipated. Even when it seems to be extremely consequential, it, it doesn't have the kind of impact that we think it has. It only has the impact that the soul utilizes. So while we may be reeling from the death of an uncle or an aunt who was murdered, let's use a really horrible example, 
Um, and we might be just devastated by that and think, okay, well, the cause of my devastation is their murder, and the cause of their murder is the murderer, and the murder is an evil person because they did this to them and they did it to me. What we're really saying is that's all that's happening here. But actually something else entirely is happening of which we are unaware. And the reason we're unaware of it is because we're blind, because we live in the duality trance state. And so what our awareness is made up of is, is, is a continual process of opening and opening and surrendering and surrendering. So as I step into the stillness and become aware that I am divine self, that my beingness, my body, my mind is divine self, uh, then I realize that the body is just as much a part of this process. It's not something that just is going to be junk at the end of my life and I'll just, you know, it's just a vehicle I'm using and it's nothing more than that. It has no more merit than that. No. The body is the form that was created in the beginning to have meaning. The reason we have form is because we are, um, we, that's what we were created to have. That's what we're doing here on this earth is experimenting with form. What is it like to be form? Well, right now, the experiment is all about, well, does that mean that I'm separate from the divine? But ultimately, we're going to answer that question with a hearty no. Form and formlessness are one. They are the same thing. And mind and matter are the same thing. And soul and matter are the same thing. We're going to get that. And when we get that form is no longer going to die. Form is going to no longer get sick. Form is going to no longer be be uh, temporary. It will not be considered to be a, a vehicle for our existence. It will be a part of our existence, a part of the beingness that is I am that I am. So, uh, you know, there's lots of material out there that can you can find this in, and I've got a book coming out later that's going to talk about it as well. I've also talked about it in my book, The Law of Attraction. You'll also hear it in Eckhart Tolle's work, where we begin to see that there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. And the new heaven and the new earth is, that's talked about in the Bible, eludes, I mean, is traditionally, um, thought of as a, a literal new heaven and a literal new earth in which there will, there's a new, the old earth will be just de- demolished and the, there'll be this new, place that we go to after we die um and that's not at all what what uh, those texts actually mean when you look at the root language what they actually mean is we will become conscious of the heaven that is already within us all the time and we will become conscious that the body is a part of that heaven already and so there is no separation between body and soul there is no separation between life and death there is no separation between divine and humanity there is no separation. But in order for us to come to really know that, we have to sit in the silence and the stillness for a while, and then we feel it. We know it. We sense it. It is. It becomes a knowledge. It becomes a, a not just an inner knowing, and a body knowing, a mind knowing, a soul knowing. We come to know, I am that I am. Be still to know that I am God. Be still to know that I am God. I loved what Marianne Williamson said at the end of one of her last interviews with Oprah Winfrey. Um, and, uh, recently, uh, she, uh, Oprah said, did she have any last words to say? And um, Marianne said something to the effect of, 
I am, and then she paused, and she said, God. I am, and, and Oprah asked her to repeat it, and she said, I am, paused again, God. And God was said very quietly. <laughs> now, that's how we typically want to say that. We don't want to shout from the rooftops that we think we're God because people think we're nuts, and they'll come after us with the with the paddy wagons and the uh, straitjackets. But uh, the truth is that if every one of us is divine, then there is no ma- Messiah complex taking place. It's just that we are all... We are all divine beings. We were here in the beginning. We'll be here in the quote-unquote end, although there is no end. And we will be living from who we are. So the question asked in the beginning of this show was, is it possible to be authentic and still have an ego? And the answer is yes, if we change the definition of ego. Ego is not an entity that lives inside of us that dictates our actions and makes us do bad stuff. Ego is a liaison between the inner world and the outer world, without which we would take on too much of the outer world or project too much of the inner world onto the outer world. We say, in my field, in the mental health field, we say that a person who has uh, a weak ego, is uh, it's possible for them to have things like hallucinations or psychotic episodes because they're projecting what's on their inner world onto their outer world. Now, that's not what psychiatrists say. That's what Andrea says. But we are. We're projecting onto the outer world what we see in the inner world. So it seems that it's really, really real to us. That's what hallucinations are. And while they're also biochemical, they are very definitely something that we need to pay attention to in terms of uh, the ego. So we've answered our question that we set up today. Is it possible to be authentic, which is being divine self and also have an ego? And the answer is yes. Uh, we need to stop thinking in terms of ego and higher self. We need to start thinking in terms of being who we are as divine self. So next week we're going to be talking to Denise Lynn about her latest book. And you don't want to miss that. She's going to be a wonderful uh, – oh, I'm sorry, excuse me. That's not next week. That's on the 19th. Next week – it's just going to, uh, we're going to be talking again to Brian Weiss. My apologies. We're going to have a redo of Brian Weiss's show that was done on March the 14th of this year. So you don't want to miss that. If you missed it the first time, tune in. And uh, remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time here on the 7th Wave Network. We'll talk again next week.